Ovajina Tumanandasya Jnajinas Chalakaya Chakshun Militanyina Tasmai Shri Guru Vena Maha Panchakakutubhishya Kripasindabhivacha Patitanam Pavanevyo Vaishnavidyo Namona Maha So the specific characteristics of Sri Shaitanya's Sankirtan movement as explained by Krishnadas Kaviraj in the beginning, beginning of Madhurya Kadambani, is the fact that Prem Bhakti, as exhibited by the Lord's most intimate associates in Raj, is the sadhya, is the goal of uh, the practice of devotional service that he's introducing to human society. So as we go through Srimad Bhagavatam, we see that there's different conceptions of the Supreme Lord put forth, but they all end with the descriptions of the 10th Canto, wherein the Lord's personal abode is described as it is manifest. This manifestation is Prakat Leela. So when the Lord manifests his pastimes, his intimate pastimes with his associates, and when these can be viewed in human society, that's called the Prakat Leela, the manifest Leela. They can also be entered into within the heart. Uh, for the very advanced devotees. They can enter into those pastimes uh, in bhajan, very deep meditation, uh, samadhi, the deepest of samadhi. I mean, an actual entrance into lila simply by contemplation, advancing to the stage of, of entrance. That's called aprakat, not manifested in human society. So when the Lord manifests his pastimes in human society, we touched on this last class, this manifestation of his pastimes is not viewed equally by everybody. And this is evidenced most prominently uh, by the verses that explain how different living entities in human society saw Krishna when he entered uh, the wrestling arena. So he appeared differently to the yogis and to the, the women and to the men and to those people that were close to him, to those people that were inimical towards him. Uh, he appeared much differently. That appearance is, is dependent on the condition of our heart. The goal of devotional service is to is to make the heart properly situated to receive uh, the Lord. So we, we've touched on these things, the beginning of the book, Lord Chaitanya's, the significance of his advent once in the day of Brahma following Krishna. It's not very often. So the, the whole Leela is, is put forth to us at this point in time as 
as very, very significant, something that's extremely rare that is being made available to us coming into succession from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's a rare thing. Of course, you could say every incarnation of the Supreme Lord in, uh, in the material manifestation is a rare event, the Bhagavatam even goes so far, the sages have put forth information that the Lord is manifest in, in every species of life, various times. He speaks specifically about his advent in human society in Bhagavad Gita, Yada Yadahi Dharmasya, and he puts a, 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 a criteria forth uh, when you see a predominance of your religion, uh, uh, basically when the demons have taken over, and the demigods can't straighten it out on their own, I show up and do it for them. Yada yadahi dharmasya glani or bhavati bharata. We find out that really this material manifestation and the dealings that go on here is fully under the Lord's control at all times through his various agents. And that when he shows up, when he manifests himself, he does so specifically to show his mercy to his devotees. That's, that's why he shows. That's why he manifests himself. Uh, that, that is the true reason for his advent, although he may come supposedly filling other, other more materialistic uh, goals straightening out society, putting the demons in their place, reestablishing religion that's been lost. But the fact of the matter is, these things can be accomplished without his personal advent. He can empower people. So we come to the second verse. Empowerment. The power of that empowerment. How powerful is the empowerment of Krishna? And how powerful is the empowerment specifically of Lord Chaitanya to Rupa Goswami in particular and, the, and all of the Goswamis and all of his intimate associates to spread Krishna consciousness. Uh, so we find out that it's, it's extremely powerful that uh, there's some secret here. This is the way Krishna's working. Sri Chaitanya is manifesting something. Yes, could he do it all himself? In a heartbeat. But that's not the way Krishna works. He likes to glorify his devotees. He's deriving great pleasure in glorifying Rupa and Sanatan, Raghunath Das, Raghunath Bhatta, uh, Swarup Damodar, Ramananda Roy, so much so that he sits and takes instruction from Ramananda Roy. Ramananda Roy is no fool. He's saying, There's not, everything coming from my lips is coming by your empowerment. But still, you're sitting there as if you're the student and you're treating me as the master. This is the loving reciprocation of Krishna uh, with his devotees. So we're coming to a section Madhurya Kadambani, where we're going to touch upon the causeless nature of bhakti. 
And specifically, Vishwanath Chakravarti in Madhurya Kadamani, he lays to rest apparent contradictions that one may put forth from the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam has all kinds of verses and all kinds of information of spiritual and transcendental knowledge is put forth, but it's it has to be properly understood. So we will find verses in the Bhagavatam that support the notion that material piety and some material arrangement, some sacrifice, something done on our part can lead to the appearance of bhakti within the heart. Then there's other verses in the Bhagavatam that say exactly the opposite. There's no amount of sacrifice, no amount of austerity, no amount of charity you can do to attract bhakti. So this causeless nature of bhakti is what's dealt with in the very beginning of the book. Lord Chaitanya, the speciality of spirit of Lord Chaitanya's advent, the fact that he's Goloker Prema Don, that the Prema of Goloka is coming through his Sankirtan, the specific Sankirtan. And it's the Sankirtan itself is so powerful that when we look to the context of Bhakti and the Angas of Bhakti, this Sankirtan infuses all of them. It nourishes all of them. In fact, it's all you need. Just this chanting. If it's coming in the wake of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it's that powerful. Throughout our devotional lives, whatever we do, we're always chanting. Chanting is the, is the basis. Worshipping the deity, worshipping the devotees, taking prasad. It's all, it's all centered around and nourished by Harinam Sankirtan. And this is Lord Chaitanya's special gift. And it's so easy. Some might say the other angas could sometimes be hard. Well, for devotees, they're not really hard. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu. I mean, you just have to show up and listen. You know, hearing, chanting, remembering. You know, if you're around devotees, what else are you going to think about? It, it, it's, it's a, it is a very, very, as your Guru Maharaj says, it's user-friendly. User-friendly approach. Super user-friendly when we add Hari Nam Sankirtan. If we can't do anything, you can go in the corner and simply chant. No one will fault you. They may be like, you know, I really need a little scrubbing and mopping them done. But, you know, if your brain, if you're having, if, if all you can do today is chant, I've been there, I can understand, take a day and chant. No loss, no diminution. The problem is most of us can't sit in the corner and chant all day, so we do a little, a little other service. But that in and of itself is the practice and is the goal. So much of it is the goal that it, once you enter into the holy name, 
your true spiritual life will manifest itself without any outside. Nothing outside needs to come. The holy name itself will reveal itself to you. That's how powerful it is. The significance of Sri Shaitanya, the significance of his devotees, and the significance of his empowerment of his devotees have been dealt with. The nature of evidence is then dealt with. In this book, Madhurya Kadamani, I'm going to say some things, is what Vishwanath Chakravarti say. And some may question what I'm saying. So understand that what I'm saying here, we're going to support. We're going to support by the teachings of Rupa Goswami. I pray for his mercy in presenting this book. I'm going to follow his lead and I'm going to support what I'm giving you as far as this understanding of Rupa's teachings. I'm taking his teachings and I'm unpacking them. I'm, I'm taking them and I'm, 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 I'm fluffing them up. Making them so we, you can see into them. They're so condensed. There's so much there. I mean, sometimes, don't you come to a purport and, the, and, the, and a tika, a purport in one of the books where one of the commentators, whether it be Bhaktivedanta, Bhaktisiddhanta, Bhaktivinod, Vishwanath, Sridhar Swami, Jiva Goswami, Rupa Goswami, we read some of their explanations. The explanations alone were like, yeah, that really explained a lot. It's so thick, the explanation, I have to take days just to study each verse that they're using as evidence to support their explanation of the verse. Do you ever come to verses like that? Purports, where it's like, where do I start? Where, how do I get a handle on this? That's what Madhurya Kadamani is. It's giving us a small entrance into a little section of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu so that we can understand what Rupa's giving us, some of it, and we can, it can really nourish our practice. So that's what I'm trying to do here. In presenting this book, Evidence is going to be there. The evidence is going to be based on what? What is the word for evidence? Pramana. And the main pramana is subda. Sound vibration. Which sound vibration? Shruti, smriti, paranadi. These sound vibrations. If we can support what we're saying in this way, then it will have some impact. And there's other evidence. We, we admit it. There's other evidence. If you see smoke coming from a hill, there's probably a fire. You know, if, if you have a million dollars, you already have a hundred included. This nine other primary evidences in the, you know, are being presented by the commentator, Ananda Das Babaji, in his particular commentary on Vishwanath's commentary on Rupa Goswami's few verses from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Adao Shradasata. This is called unpacking and unpacking. We need it. And then you have somebody simple like me, a simpleton that doesn't know hardly anything, and I'm here trying to explain it in a way that perhaps will help you. 
Perhaps not, but it gives me something to do and I appreciate your association. <laughs> We're coming to this point. Now, causeless nature of bhakti. The causeless nature of bhakti. What is going on here? If it's causeless, then, and I don't have to do anything, what, why am I here? I put the tea lock and shave my head, I hang around with them, show up, I chant, I... What am I doing? If all I'm doing is causeless, whatever mercy, whatever devotion is going to come into my heart is not by any of my endeavor, then what am I endeavoring for? Because we are here and we are endeavoring, are we not? We're all here, we're all doing things, we're all chanting, hearing, remembering, Worshipping. So we're engaged in these angas of bhakti. Why are we doing it? If bhakti's causeless, if Krishna doesn't even cause bhakti, because if Krishna caused bhakti, then he'd be then he'd be labeled partial because some living entities are getting it and some living entities aren't getting it. So therefore, well, the Lord must be taking sides. Well, what kind of God is that? So God picks a few of his sons and daughters to be happily situated in love of him and the rest of them he just lets go to hell? What's his, what's, what's his position in this whole, this whole thing called bhakti yoga, devotional service? What's his position? What does he do? So that's the next section of verses that Vishwanath is, is going to give us some idea of what is going on here because it can be bewildering and especially we even go to the Bhagavatam and we find contrary verses where one says one thing and another says something else so let's dig in and, and see a little bit of what, of what of how to approach this so we'll start with, uh, I'll read the English translation. The self-manifesting eternal energy of the Lord, Bhakti, being non-different from the Lord, is not dependent on any other cause. Srimad Bhagavatam 126 describes the independent appearance of Bhakti. Devotional service, quote, devotional service to Lord Adoksaja, who is beyond the senses of all human beings, is the best of all religions, because such devotion is causeless and uninterrupted by obstacles. Similarly, the words of the Lord, by chance if one attains faith in hearing my glories, by chance if one attains bhakti, by chance if bhakti manifests, refer to the Lord's independent will. The word yadricha, means independent will. The dictionary also mentions yadriksha as spontaneous or self-will. So Vishwanath is saying, okay, let's start here. Bhakti is transcendental. So we know that transcendental means beyond the modes of material nature. The jiva, our position is, at this point in time, 
we are under the influence of the Lord's external potency, the three modes of material nature. They reign supreme in our life, goodness, passion, and ignorance. None of them are any ever, ever fully manifest purely. What I mean by that is you don't see 100% passion in a person or 100% ignorance or 100% goodness. There's always a mixture of these three modes, but there's a predominance of one or the other based on the circumstances of the living entity. That's our position. So there's a distinction between our position and transcendence. Although that we're of the same category uh, as the Supreme, our quantity is infinitesimal, we're very small, and because of that, his external material potency can overtake us. And these modes, we're just like puppets on a string. We're drugged from one place to another by the senses. We're pulled here and pulled there. Let's find out what's the distinction. First of all, bhakti is not like that. It's fully independent, like the Lord is independent. So the verse quoted, that Vishwanath's quoting, is... From the Bhagavatam, what is it, 126, I believe. Savaipum samparo dharmo yato bhaktir adoksaje. Ahaitukiya prati yata yayatmasu prasidati. This is in the very beginning of the Bhagavatam. Sutta Goswami is talking to the sages, headed by Sonika Rishi, and he says, The supreme occupation, dharma, for all humanity is that by which men can attain to loving devotional service into the transcendental Lord. Such devotional service must be unmotivated and uninterrupted, uninterrupted to completely satisfy the self. What's important is this word ahaituki, ahaituki, causeless. Ahaituki apratiyata. Unmotivated is the how, causeless, unmotivated, uninterrupted. So, but specifically this causeless, it's, it's coming, what is the cause? If it's a supreme dharma, well, we know within the world there's so many dharmas. So if the supreme occupational engagement of the living entity is a dharma, if devotional service, if the supreme dharma Savaipum sam paro dharma, paro dharma, supreme, topmost. Dharma is bhakti to a dokshaja. What's that? That's a name for the supreme, which refers to what quality? He's not influenced by the material energy, he's the controller. The transcendental Lord, he's transcendental to the modes of material nature. What dharma can we do for God? On this plane, what can we do to satisfy Him? Well, there's nothing. But if the cause, if causeless devotion comes to us and we can engage in that, 
That will satisfy us. That will nourish us. Here in the Bhagavatam, we're talking about Dharma. Dharma is activity. The living entity is engaged in doing something. The supreme activity is worshipping the Lord, but you cannot force the Lord by any material arrangement. So, how can I even engage in bhakti? Where's it coming from? Here I'm being advised to engage in the topmost religion, Parodharma, in the Bhagavatam. I'm being, here, do this. This is the topmost thing. Serve the Lord without any motivation, in an uninterrupted, uninterrupted way, and that's, that's the supreme religion. Nothing better than that. Okay, but what, what, what do I have going for me here? I'm in a material body. I have material senses. I'm in a material atmosphere. There's nothing transcendental about my involvement in material life at all except the fact that I am a consciousness and I possess what? I possess some characteristics of spirituality because I am a fragmental portion of the Supreme. A little bit of Sat, Chit, Ananda. Near Ananda. Hardly any. Asat, Achit. I'm surrounded by it at every moment. But here I'm being advised that the supreme dharma, the topmost engagement for me as a human being, is to worship the supreme. And in an uninterrupted fashion, how do I reconcile this? What can I do? So that's where Vishwanath's taking. He's first saying, okay, let's look at these verses. We're looking at this verse and we're saying that bhakti is, is self-manifested and it's, it's not coming through the material energy. And then he goes on in the next verse further to say, some describe the word yadrichcha as by good fortune. Oh, there we have it. Some good fortune has come to me. So therefore, I'm engaging in bhakti, which is transcendental to the modes of material nature. If this is accepted, Mr. Nas says, if this is accepted, then one may ask whether this good fortune arises from pious activities or not. I must have done something to be in, the good, in this good fortune, right? I did something good. And here it came. I got bhakti. Because I did something just like anything else in life. I worked all week, and at the end, I got a paycheck. I worshipped that girl all throughout high school, and after we graduated, I married her. And she gave me a son. My piety gave me bhakti. If we accept pious activities as the cause of such good fortune, then it is dependent on good deeds and loses its self-manifesting nature. Whoa! <coughs> Rewind. Wait. 
it's transcendental. My piety is material. Material piety is not going to give me transcendent bhakti. Okay, so what's going on? We're still bewildered. If pious activities are not the cause of good fortune, if the piety didn't do it, then again the cause remains unknown. I'm still bewildered. The cause of fortune being unknown, how can we accept that it causes bhakti? By logic of fact, that is self un that it that is itself unproven is unable to prove another fact. If the Lord's mercy is accepted as the cause of bhakti, one may again ask about the cause of that mercy. Inquiring more and more about the cause of the Lord's mercy, one is one is unable to come to a conclusion, and the fact remains unproven. If, however, one says that the causeless mercy of the Lord is the cause of bhakti, okay, all right. God is God. God controls everything. And God can give and take away as he sees fit. So, all right, it wasn't my good works, my piety, anything that I did. It isn't the fact that I put my time in to being a good person and being nice to everybody around me and smiling and, you know, giving everything in charity and, you know, all that good stuff. Okay, I'll buy it. That was material, although it was in the mode of goodness and, you know, it, it pays off well. You can go to heavenly planets and, and you're respected in society and uh, everyone uh, worships you. That's, that's the result of material piety the mode of goodness personified, you're like, you know, you, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It's good. Be, be truthful. Truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, and mercy. Practice those throughout your life. You'll be respected in human society. Material nature will cooperate with you because you're primarily within the mode of goodness. Mode of goodness brings what? Well, let's read Bhagavad Gita. Anybody remember Bhagavad Gita? What's the mode of goodness bring? What's all the benefits? Long life and, you know, it's uh, Krishna spells them all out to Arjuna, doesn't he? So, in all situations, be in the mode of goodness. So, I understand that all that mode of goodness piety didn't give me bhakti. So, that came from somewhere. Here I am, I'm chanting, I'm tasting, I'm enjoying, I'm associating, I have good, uh, good sangha, I have a great spiritual master. I have beautiful deities, tremendous community. I'm working, and this is great. But it didn't come to me by anything that I did. So Krishna gave it to me. Vishwanath doesn't like that. He says, "That can't be God. God, God can't be like that." If, however, one says that the causeless mercy of the Lord is the cause of bhakti. If you say that it was God, since this is not seen, it would imply the fault of partiality in the Lord. We touched upon that a few moments ago. God's saying, well, give it to one and not give it to another. What kind of God's that? Do you really want to love a, a guy who, who treats people like that? That used to be my 
my main argument uh, for many of a year. I'd say to people, I'd say, well, you don't believe in reincarnation. Then you explain to me why you and I were born in the United States of America in good families where we could get a good education, we had good jobs, and we weren't born in Ethiopia to get malaria before we even six months old and die of starvation and diarrhea. You explain to me why you and I are here and that soul was there and tell me there's no thing, such thing as reincarnation. That's the way I'd argue it. I'd win the argument. I don't know. You got a point there. Vishwanath's making a similar argument here. Well, this is God. So this is God we're talking about. And you're saying, you're saying, well, let's let's understand, okay, bhakti didn't come from my piety. It's just piety is simply a manifestation that that can lead to a nice, pleasurable life as a result, a karmic result of engagement in mode of goodness activity. Since this is not seen, it would imply the fault of partiality in the Lord. The partiality seen in the Lord in punishing the demons and maintaining his devotees is not a fault, but an ornament. Okay, I can buy that. When Krishna is nice to people that treat him nicely, that's, that's, that's really nice. That's an ornament. That, that makes him look all the better. He's a, great, he's a much better God now. Because he treats people that treat him nice, nicely. But wait, he treats the people that treat him unnicely, nicely. The Lord's affection for his devotees is supreme, ruling over all his other qualities like a universal emperor. This will be discussed in detail in the eighth shower of this book. We'll go on. So we have two verses now. We haven't really gone anywhere, have we? We thought it was piety. Yeah, well, then what? Then it's material. Okay, it was God. Well, then God's partial. Let's go on. Vishwanath continues his argument. If the causeless mercy of the devotee is accepted as the cause of bhakti, then the question arises of partiality on the part of the devotee. All right, so you're saying God doesn't give bhakti, that the devotees of God give bhakti. Okay, because we don't want to, we don't want to really tag God with, you know, with this kind of a, with, with this kind of a label of being a, a partial God. He only treats nice pe- people that are nice to him nicely. Really, we don't even see that because we see even the people that don't treat him nicely are given liberation. Even the demons uh, are liberated. So, okay, so it's the devotees. Okay, but Vishwanath says, okay, let's look at this. That's a nice argument, but really, let's look at it. Then the question arises again of partiality on the part of the devotee. So the devotees are partial. What kind of God has people who follow and love him, his devotees, who are partial? That's, what is this, a cult, a God cult? And only people in the God cult get the good stuff, the bhakti, and everybody else is not doesn't get it. Well, that's something to think about. All right. 
Srimad Bhagavatam 11.346, however, accepts this partiality as a natural characteristic of the Madhyama Bhakti, middle-level middle Bhakti, the Bhakta who's, who's on the middle platform, Madhyam, Kanista Madhyam Uttama. So he, he makes distinctions. Oh, well, that's an ornament that he has. This verse says that he shows love for the Lord, friendship for the devotees, mercy to the ignorant, and negligence to those who hate the devotees. So his middle position in bhakti gives him a particular discrimination. And his discrimination is explained in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Characteristics of his discrimination being in the, in this, in the middle platform of devotional practice, the Madhyamadakari, is that he shows love for the Lord. He shows friendship with the devotees, mercy to the ignorant, and he neglects the people that are hateful. Okay. Makes sense. Is it material? Or is that spiritual? Partiality thus exists in the Madhyam devotee. However, the Lord is always under the control of his devotees. Wait, I thought God was God. I thought this was his show. No. Now you're saying here, well, it's actually his show for the most part, except here. Here, God's giving up his control. God is giving up the control to give love. He doesn't do that himself because he's God and he's got to be equal to all. And we see he's, he's, he's merciful to all, even the demons. Okay, so the devotees, they're making this. They're the ones that are, that are giving bhakti. Partiality thus exists in the Madhyam devotee. However, the Lord is always under the control of his devotee. His mercy follows the mercy of his devotees. There is no impropriety in this fact. Bhakti residing in the devotee's heart is the main cause of his bestowing mercy to others. Other than bhakti, there is no cause for the appearance of mercy. This shows the self-manifest status of bhakti. So that's an introduction to this. And we're going to go through it and we're going to look at the verses pro and con for the next couple classes so we can understand how Vishwanath is framing this argument and we understand the underlying spiritual pramana that supports such an argument, the evidence that supports this concept that there's nothing we can do to obtain bhakti. The Lord himself stays neutral. When it comes to the individual jiva, he's neutral. I'm seated in everyone's heart. Everyone's heart. He doesn't say, there's a demon, I'm not God in that heart. That's not good. That's not the place for me. No. 
I'm seated in everyone's heart. To everyone comes knowledge and remembrance and forgetfulness. He's equally as super soul caring for every living entity without partiality. But those who recognize him, there is some reciprocation there. But entrance into that reciprocation is not something that he himself personally bestows. Now look at this in relationship to Sri Chaitanya and think about it. What did Sri Chaitanya do during his Sankirtan movement? He took up, he took himself the position of a devotee. Because without taking the position of a devotee, there would be no Sankirtan movement of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Because he's God. Come as a devotee, then he can distribute love of God. Coming as God, God doesn't distribute love of God. God loves everyone equally. But he's inclined to reciprocate with those that want to love him. So these are deep subjects. It's a deep, deep thing. There's a lot of misunderstanding, in, in, especially in the Kanista and the Majjum platform of, of practice. There's a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding that you can measure one's bhakti by a, a ruler of piety, a ruler of good works, a ruler of austerity. But we see that that's not really applicable. It's applicable to some. Some don't want praying bhakti. They want to use bhakti as a stepping stone to obtain some, a goal which is not in and of itself bhakti itself. Praying bhakti, what do they want? They want liberation, they want mystic powers. So none of these things can be successful without a little bhakti. So they, they'll use that. And the Bhagavatam, of course, encourages them to do that. Because a little bhakti is better than no bhakti at all, but it's not pure bhakti. I'll stop there. Any questions? Nothing? We all understand this? No, a lot of, a lot of to think about. Though. It's a lot to think about, no absolutely. Huh? No questions. It's difficult to come up with a good question. Like, uh, <laughs> no question. What about the um, guru brings you to the, or the Krishna brings you to the guru part? What's uh, how's that working with uh, bhakti being independent? Well, what we're gonna what what we are going to explore here, and what the point that that Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur is is going to. He's making in these verses, and we're going to explore the underpinnings, what what are the supports for the arguments he's making. So your question is, what, where's the guru play in this? Well, no, my question is, Krishna brings you to the guru. Right. I guess you don't... You, we've heard this, Krishna brings you to the guru. Uh-huh. But but actually, if we if we take the arguments of Vishwanath, we found that the guru is the one doing the outreach. Mm-hmm. 
So really, the devotee is picking us up. No amount of activity on our point part is arranging that. That is coming from the outreach of the devotee. But I understand what you're saying. Yes, mm-hmm. we hear this. That yes, the the you know Krishna 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 is giving you the intelligence. Well, but without the devotee there to to train you and to take you under his shelter and to share with you his vision of love of God, none of it would work. So you could say Krishna is bringing you to the feet of your spiritual master, but there needs to be feet there to be brought to mm-hmm. in the first place. So that's the primary thing to understand is bhakti is coming it's of her own volition. So there, you can't say there's a point where there's just some random guy with no Sukriti. Krishna just kind of picks him up and puts him over here. You have, it has to go through a Jyata Sukriti first. Well, we say a Jyata Sukriti. We say every... what Vishwanath, The point that Vishwanath is going to make here and that we're going to try to fully comprehend what what is he saying. What he's saying is Bhakti is independent fully. Like Krishna is independent. Well, then you'd say, and that we're going to talk about the fact, well, how can anything be independent of Krishna? Krishna is everywhere. Krishna is everything, and everything's happening under his direction. Everything except Bhakti. Bhakti's coming from the better half. There's the Krishna half and there's the better half. That's the bhakti half. Yes? Isn't Krishna really responding to the bhakti of the guru to bring people to... Krishna is so (laughs) self-satisfied that our minuscule ananda is not enough to capture him. What captures him? Pure prem, pure love. The embodiment of that is Srimati Radharani. So when we really get down to it, and, and if you there's there's one particular place uh, where Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Maharaj says, ultimately we see Radha as guru. Radha is the one that has the strength to attract Krishna. Her bhakti overpowers him so much, he has to become a devotee to figure it out. Does that begin to give you an inkling of an answer? So we're, 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 we're going to come to this conclusion that we're going to see that bhakti is that energy which can attract Krishna. But Krishna himself leaves that nourishment of the love within the jiva as as a gift coming from his devotees. He loves his devotees so much that the topmost thing that a jiva can do, that an expansion from him can accomplish 
is bringing someone to his lotus feet to love him purely. And that topmost service, he doesn't do himself. He leaves that responsibility to his devotees. It's just another manifestation of his infinite love, which he cannot repay. He can never repay his devotees. So therefore, he has his devotees. He comes and he makes his devotees devotees so that they can worship his devotees. And his devotees can have them worship him. And it's a big love fest. (laughs) It's love on steroids. It's called Prem Bhakti. Anything else? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.